mid dementia and their care partners. And we've got a great group assembled and a wonderful team for our symposium. We have Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shear, and Mary Reed, who are all living with the disease. And then we have um, Becky Watson, who's a music therapist, and Cindy Lazinski, who heads up a uh, dementia-friendly community in Colorado. And I, I am so proud of all of our sponsors who have stepped up to help with this. Um, American Senior Magazine, if you haven't checked them out, please do so. John Hopkins has donated um, some books for us, The 36-Hour Day and a Loving Approach to Dementia Care. And we... Um, also have some other books that will be available to people, some art kits, um, calendar cards, um, footprint IDs. Um, so it'll, it'll be fun and, again, very, I think, educational. Now, let me go ahead and introduce our guest today. Uh, we are so lucky and, and very excited to have Liz O'Donnell with us. She is the author, and I love this title, Mogul Mom and Maid. Um, the Balancing Act of the Modern Woman. And I, I think this is just such a cool book. It really picks up where other business books have left off, understanding the impact of women's personal lives as, as um, on their careers as they care for others. Um, she has a great website called theworkingdaughter.com, just workingdaughter.com, that supports women who are balancing caring for aging parents or others and still have careers. And she's also the founder of Rent a Sister, uh, which is a company that provides support services for family caregivers. So welcome, Liz. I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. Well, I, you know, I always like to start out asking if you have personally been touched, you know, by family or friends or, or maybe coworkers um, who might have had dementia. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my father actually just passed away in July, so just a few months ago. Um, he was diagnosed three years ago with um, early stage Alzheimer's and dementia, and um, at the time, I had a hard time accepting the diagnosis because he also had a urinary tract infection at the time. So um, it was hard to sort of suss out what was the infection and what was the disease. Plus, I think it's a disease we're probably just naturally inclined to resist hearing about, yeah. right? Um, so I originally moved him into a memory care facility um, just right up the street from me and then was able to advocate to move him into the assisted living. As the infection cleared and the symptoms declined he's, or, or you know, um, lessened, he said, why am I locked up in here? So it mm -hmm. was a real win at the time to be, you know, the, the facility said to me, they had both uh, assisted living and, and memory care, and they said, no one ever moves from the right side to the left side. They always go, you know, eventually from the left side, the assisted living, to more care. So he was the first, but the staff was wonderful, and they worked with me. And he lived there for three years, as I mentioned. Um, and then, unfortunately, in March of this year, um, despite my having a really strong no-hospital policy for him, um, he was 90, um, but he got an infection that I just couldn't not treat at the hospital, and that just sparked a progression, right? He got delirium in the hospital. He went into a rehab. He um, 
unfortunately, you know, you talk about stigma. My father was an aggressive dementia case. So okay. he tried to break out and, you know, ended up in a psych ward. And from there, things just spiraled quickly. Oh, geez. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's, you know, no matter how much time you have, it's a difficult um, journey. You know, I had my mom for 30 years and people go, oh, my gosh, that's so long. But, you know, there were a lot of blessings wrapped in that time, too. And um, a closeness uh, that just heightened for us and, and so, um, again, everybody's journey is a, is a little different. And I appreciate you sharing with our audience and, and myself your, your personal journey or, or a bit of it anyways. Um, can you tell us, you know, how does a care, per, how do you care proof, you know, your career? Um, that is such a worry for so many people. You know, how do I do both and not jeopardize my career? Well, it's a valid concern for many people because, you know, we do see the research that shows that there's a stigma attached to that as well, that um, especially elder care providers often have um, a tougher time at work even than working parents. And we hear so much about working parents and what kind of support they need and that it's the right thing to do to support them. My experience anyway, and that's why I'm grateful for programs like yours, is that no one was talking about elder care when I started. Um, It was, you just sort of suffered alone. And unlike parenting, at least of a healthy child anyway, um, there is no planning for elder care. You know, when you have a child, and that's what I wrote about in my book, you have some sense of, you know, when they need well checks and when they start daycare and when they'll go to half day kindergarten and then to full day. And you can kind of plan your life around that. But with elder care, as you know, the phone rings one day and all of a sudden you are just in it. So, um, so really valid concern for people. And, and my um, hard earned one counsel is to act as your parents get older to almost act as if you're about to go out on maternity leave at any given point. You know, when I was leaving for maternity leave, I started a spreadsheet um, that I kept on my hard drive. So anybody, and also on the server. So any of my teammates could access it if, you know, I happened to go out early and it included all of the passwords, all of the action items for all of my clients, anything somebody might need so they could fill in for me at any given time. Um, and I, with elder care, you know, I can't say that I was organized when I got the first emergency phone call, but I quickly got organized because I realized that I never knew week to week, even day to day, what my schedule was going to be like, where I needed to be. It was super important for me to be with my parents. I knew what was most important in life, which was, you know, that relationship, a clean ending, all things, you know, nothing left unspoken. Um, to be there to be an advocate, but I still had to earn a living. I couldn't lose my job. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's uh, um, that's good planning. I didn't even plan that good when I was pregnant. I remember writing <laughs> in the bathroom on a on a brown uh, um, napkin, you know, paper towel, what everyone had to do, you know. And it was like, <laughs> boy, that would have been easier if I would have had your list and been prepared when my water broke. You know? yeah, exactly. Because I, I just. I just uh, literally, I was just overwhelmed in trying to rack my brain with what needs to be done now. And, um, and that pressure is crazy. You know, when we do that to ourselves, it just is so, it's so silly when we can prepare. 
And we, we don't have to put ourselves in that type of, a type of position. Um, So I I think that that's. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I was going to say, and, and we both know when it comes to caregiving and crises, especially, you know, we're not thinking at our best. There are so many truly life or death, death situations and we're, getting out the door, we're getting to the hospital, we're finding the paperwork where, you know, all of those things um, are running through our heads. So as much as we can have planned ahead, I mean, I think having the paperwork um, for your parents handy is also another really um, important step so that that's one less thing you have to think about. I kept it, I know there are apps, but I'm just, I'm more of a paper-based person when it comes to certain things. I kept a packet with a copy of, you know, the, advanced directives, the medication list, the insurance information at work, in my car, and also in my home office so that if the call did come, one less thing to think about, I could run out the door and grab it. And then the other thing I would say about, you know, caregiving proof your career to the extent anybody really can is, um, you know, to make sure that you're as clean at work when you can be um, in the early days, meaning, you know, you earn equity in your reputation in, um, you know, how well you show up at work. In those early years of you know, leaning in, you know, we've heard about a lot about leaning in in the last few years from Cheryl Sandberg, and I know people have different opinions about leaning in or not leaning in, but I feel like especially for women whose careers get interrupted several times, the more we can lean in and build that reputation equity, the more we can mm-hmm. lean on that later when we need it, and we will need it. Oh, that's a really good point. That is a really good point, and I think it's something that is very overlooked um, by many. And, um, uh, you know, we're all going to need help at one time or another. So um, that's a that's a great, great philosophy. You know, you had talked about um, – you know, kind of setting your mindset that, you know, you're, you're pregnant and, you know, that could happen anytime. How do you frame it for men at all? Because, you know, more men are stepping into this now too, um, because they don't know what it's like to be pregnant and just called off. Do you have any, (laughs) (laughs) do you have any advice for them? Absolutely. I mean, I think you raise a really good point, which is that, um, we need to be aware of the fact, and we should be having these conversations, that um, family crises, family issues, elder care, caregiving in general, are very different for men and women. I mean, if you look at the statistics, we see that it is 40% of men who make up the caregivers right now. I mean, it's still uh, majority women, and I think one of the issues for women, too, is that the expectation is that it's women. And so there are pros and cons to that, right? The pro to that is that um, women have language around this. Women are talking about what it's like to balance career and family. We're talking about the challenges and the unfairness and how to plan and conversations like you and I are having right now. Uh, the con is that we often do take a reputational hit career-wise because, you know, we might be mommy-tracked and then later we take time off again for elder care and, and that adds up. So mm-hmm. pros and cons there. And I think, you know, same thing for men. The pros for men 
is that oftentimes men are rewarded, right, for stepping up um, to take care of their family. What a great guy. He's the kind of person I want on my team. You know, look at how he prioritizes his family. And the women are like, I've been doing that all along. Um, But the con is that they don't have the language, that oftentimes there's even greater stigma for them because it's not what's expected, that they're almost locked into that breadwinning, he must earn role. And so I think it's super important that we recognize that men are 40% of caregivers and that it's not the same thing. It's, it's very mm-hmm. similar, but there are different, different expectations around it. And it, it really is interesting how we've, uh, we've got so cemented in those expectations. And you just kind of see throughout the world, uh, they're all kind of crumbling right now and really being challenged in all different areas, not just caregiving. Yeah. And um, it seems like everything is kind of bubbling to a head of, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander type thing. And, and, right, um, it's all changing. It's so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um can you um help our audience in terms of you know the caregiver experience and and translating that into kind of work skills. You know, what what does somebody really need to do that job? Oh, I love that question. Um and you know, I think about this all the time because I'm also hyper aware as a woman of a certain age, so that'd be 50, right? Um <laughs> The average um, unpaid family caregiver right now in the United States is a woman in her late 40s, you know, probably has a parent over 65, two kids, um, and she works, right? So, um, you know, so I fit the um, the profile. I'm also aware of the fact that when a woman over, you know, in her late 40s or early 50s steps out of the workplace, it's often very difficult for her to step back in. So um, I think it's really important that we think about that. And I've just been talking about statistics and I forgot your question. Oh, what I wanted to know was, uh, you know, kind of translating the the caregiver experience into kind of work skills. Yes, yes. And so where I was going, but of course, you know, and I always say when I forget my train of thought, you have to forgive me. I've been a caregiver. I have an excuse. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, so I'm aware that there's this, you know, risk that we face if um, our life interferes with our work. And I write about this sometimes because it makes me angry because if you think about those skills that a caregiver has, why wouldn't you hire them? Why wouldn't you just hire all former caregivers? There are the negotiation skills. I mean, we are negotiating all day long. Tell me that you don't have an early morning doctor's appointment and I will find one, right? I mean, so think about the, <laughs> the way that could potentially translate to skills. I mean, it's just sales skills, right? You know, I can yep. get to yes. When I absolutely need to get to yes, I can get to yes. Um, <laughs> there are, you know, there's a ton of soft skills. We are often dealing with difficult personalities. You know, I mentioned that my father was um, what they consider, I guess, to be an aggressive dementia person. You know, I, every day that I walked in there, I did not know. And, and this, I think, is the case for most caregivers of dementia and Alzheimer's. Right? We don't know what we're walking into every day. So we're prepared on any given day to meet the person we care for where they are, right, mm-hmm. and to um, deal with difficult personalities. That could be the person we're caring for in the moment. That could be an overworked, you know, professional caregiver that we're dealing with. That could be our siblings who are happy or unhappy with how things are going. I mean, we know how to work with multiple personalities. The 
ability to um, juggle and to multitask and to work through a to-do list. When when caregivers describe what they do in a day to non-caregivers, nobody believes it. I mean, you go from, right, medical to legal to the soft skills to uh, transportation. It's just, it's phenomenal what we can get done in a day because we have to. Um, And then there are the... um, you know, the uh, sort of medical-based tasks that we really wish, I think, that um, the healthcare industry had a better structure around. But we are, you know, cleaning wounds and changing equipment and um, really tuning into people's needs and feelings. So I think those are all such excellent translatable skills in the workplace. Oh, I definitely agree. And like you said, sometimes they're looked down upon and yet talk about um, the essence of team player, you know, and, right. and putting that team first and, and, and building so many, team, finding your own yeah, team, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so many people are, you know, asking for that in the business world and going, you know, why can't people self-motivate? Why can't they, yeah. you know, self-supervise? Why can't they? And it's, and these people Let's are doing problems. it. Constantly, constantly. Mm-hmm. And like you said, great multitaskers, negotiators, um, working under pressure and still pushing forward, you know, with a smile on their face most of the time. Um, right. How, how can we make giving care to others less disruptive in our lives? I, well, I, think, um, I think, first of all, we need to accept that to a degree it will be disruptive, right? So I, mm-hmm. my answer to that question would be accepting our role as caregiver is so important. And that might sound small or um, even strange, but mm-hmm. uh, you've probably encountered this. I've encountered this. So many people who are caregivers who don't necessarily identify as caregivers. They think maybe caregivers are only the people whose uh, parents or relatives live with them. They think, well, mm-hmm. my parent is in a, a nursing home, so I'm not actually a caregiver. But I think caregiving is really about the space it takes up in our heads and our hearts, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily where the person we care for lives. So accepting that you are in this role is really important. I mean, the other place acceptance comes into play, it certainly did for me, was I resisted the role for years. You know, as my parents started to need more and more, I'm the youngest in my family. I didn't want it to be me. I just, I didn't think I was the most qualified for the role. And so I put so much energy towards being cranky around having to be the (laughs) caregiver that if I had just sort of accepted, I do have the skill set, this is happening. Um, Imagine the energy I could have directed, you know, in a positive way and less of a toll it would have taken on my own psyche. So I think acceptance is um, a very important first step. That's really good because so many people do push, push that away. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, if I don't accept it, it's not going to happen or it's going to stop or it's going to slow down. And no, it's not going to do any of that. (laughs) You know, it doesn't go away and nobody gets younger. Yeah, yeah, and the burden yeah. gets heavier because there were things you could have dealt with and you didn't, or you mm-hmm. didn't deal with them in the way that maybe you should have, would have, or could have, um, you know, if you would have been accepting. And, I, you know, I found for myself, and I don't know if you did, but once I got to that level of acceptance, I, I there was a freedom in that because I didn't have to fix it. I didn't have to make it go away. 
because I couldn't. It wasn't for exactly. me to control. And exactly. and that was like a huge gift. And I'm like, well, why was I pushing that one away for so long? <laughs> you know, but but I, I never looked at it like that or no one ever told me it could be like that, that it would lessen my load and, and I could be more attentive to the to the true needs versus I I got overwhelmed and, and I don't know if you did, but I got overwhelmed with the checklist of things to do and that that ended up being my main focus and that's where I got almost my energy was checking those things off on my list instead of my personal relationship. I, I got oh, sucked into that role for song. a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. I think we hi I mean I did. I certainly I think I hid behind the checklist. In fact I remember at its height it had hundred and thirty six you know, I used an Excel spreadsheet that had hundred and thirty six items on it. And I would wake up and say, I have got to get through as many items on this list today as possible. And relationships were not the most important thing when I was in that mode. And then, you know, ultimately, as your caregiving journey sort of comes to its ultimate conclusion, you realize this would have been so much easier if I had just um, sort of ceded control, because we really don't have a heck of a lot of it, you know, ultimately, Mm -hmm. when it comes to illness and aging. And just have been, just to be present with the person you're caring for is ultimately all it's about. And you you realize that and you wish you could also translate that to everyday relationships. Yep. Well, one of the things, you know, we always talk about being person-centered. And that whole person, I don't, I don't like that that phrase myself because I think so many people look at their checklist and go, I'm being person-centered because my list is all about them. But what I realized one time after interviewing so many people um, about, you know, what is their role, I realized, and it just hit me like, uh, just like a dumbbell on the head um, because I missed it for a long time. But everybody had kind of this subtle twang in their voice that said, this isn't how I pictured my life. And that subtle twang, that emotion stops us from being able to be person-centered because inherently we have to take care of ourselves first, you know, and emotionally we're stunted because of that thought and that belief. And so for me, that was like a big awakening when I realized, okay, I have my list and yeah, those things need to get done, but I, I need to do this different because I am not, I'm not being the daughter that I want to be. I'm like losing that role in this, in the oh, yeah. caregiving the way that I'm doing it. And so I came up with this tool called your memory chip, which has people focus on, um, you know, are they safe? Are they happy? Are they pain free? And when I, when I found that I put those three things first before my list, I approached my list totally different. And some of the things I found I didn't have to do, some of them were just to keep me busy because I needed to feel like I was doing something. Um, other, uh, others made me realize that I could have somebody else do it, hire out or have family where I wasn't willing to let go of control, which I think is a problem for a lot of people too, because um, mm-hmm. we want to make sure it's done right. And that I could just sit next you know, to my mom and not even say a word, but just appreciate her presence and, and revel in that. And let our relationship truly exist. And so it was, it, you know, those checklists, 
I, and I, you know, when you said you had your Excel spreadsheet, I was giggling because every night I would print mine out. So I, and I walked around, <laughs> literally, I had mine on a clipboard and carried it with me, you know, because I was working full time. I had, oh, yeah. you know, a daughter. I was married. I, I was um, full-time real estate agent. I had extra people living in my house. I was taking care of both my parents. I volunteered, you know, and it was just like, I couldn't keep it in my head. And so I put it on my list. But it was that it was it's sad to me now how uh, how checking off an item made me um, more energized than relaxing and enjoying someone's company for a while during my journey. It got really off skewed for me. I think that idea of checking off or crossing off the list is, you know, really important to talk about because, and I see this especially for women and women who um, tend to take on, fall into whatever we want to call it, that caregiving role um, as the Mm -hmm. daughter. um, I think part of the reason we got there is because we have been natural achievers our whole life. You know, it's that good girl syndrome, right? We were raised to be good girls and we were probably good students. And then, you know, we were focused on being good wives and good mothers. And now we're like, dang it, I'm still going to be this good daughter. And I am going to, I am going to get an A on this assignment. I'm going to do Mm -hmm. it all right. So we are, we probably, um, you know, I'm generalizing here, but many of us who assume this caregiving role are probably really, like you said, energized. We get a jolt from getting the gold star, from crossing things off our list, from achieving every day. And it's a real shift, you know, that unfortunately many of us see in hindsight that, oh, wow, the real value, the real reward is being present with the person that you're caring for and learning Mm -hmm. to have a relationship with them in the moment. Whether, you know, you had a a difficult relationship with your mother growing up that, you know, as many women and girls experience, whether you had, you know, a wonderful relationship, regardless of what it is, every day is your starting point. And every day, the most important thing you have to do is just be, and that's not achievement focused. So I think giving up this idea of what the modern woman is supposed to be, right? Firing on all cylinders. It's not easy, (laughs) but if we can figure it out, uh, it's interesting. I wrote this book, Mogul Mom and Maid. It came out in late 2013. And a lot of what I talked about is, you know, the importance for women, mothers, working mothers, to let go of things like the laundry. I've got a manifesto that came out of the book. And one of my favorite lines on the manifesto is, we decided the laundry can wait because life won't. But when mm-hmm. it came to um, really stepping into my caregiving role, and it was just a few months after the book was published that both of my parents, they actually happened to both be diagnosed with terminal illnesses on the exact same day, if you can believe that. I went from one hospital where I heard Alzheimer's to another where I heard stage four cancer. So it was, oh, I really wow. stepped into a crazy time. But I wasn't able to translate what I had been preaching to working mothers about letting go, forget about perfection, you know, don't worry about things like the laundry to, uh, I didn't translate that as a daughter and a caregiver for a while. Right. You know, we were, Mm -hmm. I was going to do everything on that list, right. Perfectly. Mm -hmm. And there is no right or perfect. Yep. But we live in this world where we're taught that there is, 
and that we're supposed to achieve that. And so that was another big lesson for me to to accept what there is no perfection. You know, per, perfection happens one time and one time only, and it lasts a few seconds, and it can't be created exactly. You can get close. But, you know, every moment is different. You know, it's you're different. The person with you is different. The environment's different. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on and on. And when mm-hmm. you let go of having to be perfect and, and realize nobody's perfect, so why do you think you have to be perfect 24-7? And, and that's, I think, what so many of us take on is not only that we have to be perfect in a moment, but we have to be perfect 24-7. And, right, and we, right. and we, you know, and, and it's because we love somebody. It's because we care. It's, it's because we want to do good by them. But again, nobody can fulfill that. It's just not a realistic goal. So to be able to, to say to yourself, you know, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to be the best I can with the knowledge I have in the moment before me knowing that I will always have another opportunity to improve. And, you know, maybe if I snap or if I don't get something done in the time that I wanted, yeah, it wasn't perfect. And and maybe next time I can be better and I will try to be better. But, you know, it's that's kind of the roller coaster of life. You know, we have emotions and, you know, we're not the Stepford Wives and we're not meant to be. You know, we're we're meant to kind of go on this roller coaster and, and learn as we go. And I think if people can frame this whole journey as a learning experience instead of a roadblock, you know, instead of an interference or an embarrassment or, you know, a, a burden or whatever, there's so many terms people use for it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and say, this is something for me to, to really learn something from it. And I think there's so many life lessons wrapped in this journey. Um, would you agree with that statement or do you think I'm left field? <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I think it's why these conversations, like the one that, you know, you provide through your show are so important um, because one of the things I joke about is I've been mean, listening to, you, I blame um, the media to some degree too. I mean, if you do a Google image search for mm-hmm. caregiver or adult daughter and elderly mother, the, the images that pop up are ridiculous. I mean, there's always two smiling women. One's a little, has a few grays in her hair and one's, you know, a beautiful silver fox. Um, they either are, I found there that there are three sort of, I don't know if archetypes is the right word. There are two women and they place their foreheads against each other and they're gazing lovingly, mother and daughter, into each other's eyes. I don't know about you, but I never touched foreheads with my mother. It just wasn't a, <laughs> wasn't <laughs> a pose we struck in. The next one is mother and daughter, sometimes mother and father, gazing off into the sunset with this ridiculous loving look. And the third one is the daughter hugging the parents, but from the back, almost in like a chokehold. I mean, so the imagery that we're served up when we go searching on the web for help and support, or we reach out to a service and we look at their marketing and their brochures, you know, perpetuates this idea that you should be going through this beautifully coiffed, you know, beautifully dressed, happy and at peace all the time. And we know that that is just not the case. No. And and everybody 
everybody goes down this path different. Everybody's relationships are different to begin with, and they change during the journey. And, and you know, that's just called life. And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, there's so many um, stigmas and, and set media pushes out there. You know, yeah. there's the, the there's the doom and the gloom, and then there's the light at the end of the tunnel um, that, you know, some people are never supposed to pass through the doom and the gloom or the scariness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of this disease. And, and it's all there. I, I don't think right. any, I, I've, I've not met one person who hasn't gone from, you know, low to high multiple times on this journey. Well, it's yeah, very emotional. There's research, uh, there's research that I find really interesting that comes actually out of Johns Hopkins, um, and maybe you've talked about it before, this idea of the caregiver gain, but research that shows that there's actually, you know, physical and emotional gain that we get through caregiving, better cognitive skills, better physical strength, um, higher self-esteem, you know, more connectedness, even, um, you know, longer um, lifespans. And mm-hmm. uh, part of the research shows that um, this exists, this caregiver gain exists, even at the same time that, you know, there are moments where we feel like caregiving is breaking us. And I certainly, you know, had my moments where my knees practically buckled under me. I don't mean to say that it's all happy and wonderful, but that's what I find really great about this research that I've looked at is that two things can be true at once. Caregiving mm-hmm. can be harder than anything. And mm-hmm. it, there, there can be moments where you feel felt, right? You, you are not taking care of yourself. You're overwhelmed. These things are all true and do happen. And, and at the same time, it can be building you, improving you, and, you know, providing benefit. And so I think it's important that we talk about it as, you know, two things true at once. It's not, like you said, all gloom and doom, and it's not all, um, you know, loving gazes out to nowhere, um, I think the other important thing that you talked about, too, is back to acceptance and and what you um, reference people saying to you, and I hear this all the time as well, which is this is not what my life is supposed to be like. And, yep. and again, the sooner we can accept this is my life, just, you know, mm-hmm. switch to that statement. And I hear this especially with women around career. You know, we have goals. We were taught to lean in and to head to the corner office, and that might not happen because life happens. And so Mm -hmm. the sooner we can accept not that my life is going to start sooner or this isn't supposed to be my life, but really, you know, use language around the idea that, okay, this is my life. So what now what, you know, this exists, therefore this will happen. And so maybe I won't go to the corner office, but I'm still going to develop mad skills. I'm still going to develop incredible experiences and relationships. You know, I'm still doing important work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's very um, that, that's great advice. I uh, because I do think everybody you know states that, and I don't care if it's dementia, if it's illness, if it's uh, a death. I mean, there can be so many things where people just you know never imagined their life like that, and mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, if we look back at most of our life, we would be shocked at where we are (laughs) and what we've gone through. So when it happens in the moment and as we're moving forward, I think when it's difficult, people hold on to that so much more, but then, you know, it's that, it's that looking back period, you know, where you, where you have come to accept it, where you're able to see some of the grace, 
through it and some of the lessons learned. I, I think some of the most beautiful lessons for me, you know, when I really felt pressed against the wall and just uh, screamed out at God sometimes, I can't take any more, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, leave mm-hmm. me alone, throw me a <laughs> bone. Um, this has to end, you know, <laughs> because usually yep. it's not just that one area that you're dealing with. You know, our lives are very complicated and they're multifaceted. And something would always happen, you know, and, and I started asking just what's the lesson, you know, just teach me the lesson so I don't have to go through this again. What is the, and there was, there was always a lesson, but I couldn't find that lesson if I wasn't open to looking for it. And, and, and and so that was just a big, that was one of my big, huge breakthroughs on this, on this journey. Um, what do you think some of the biggest challenges are for Alzheimer's and dementia caregivers who, who do work outside the home? Do you have like a they, list of five or? I actually don't. Um, but I, you know, off the top of my head, I would say the unpredictability, if that's a word, that's a word, right? Yeah. The unpredictability yeah. of it is one of the most difficult. It is hard to plan. Um, for the last three years, after my mom passed, and even though my dad was doing well for a while, um, I slept literally with my cell phone under my pillow. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a strange way to live, you know, when you think about mm-hmm. it. But it's what, what I wanted to do to be available for any late night, you know, midnight call. And inevitably, um, any, not any, that's a slight exaggeration. I would say, though, at least 50% of the times I was booked on a plane, uh, you know, to, to take a plane somewhere the next day, um, those plans were impacted. I ended up in the ER um, mm-hmm. for taking my father to the doctor. And so it's just constant, constant um, choice. You know, you're constantly deciding here or there, you know, w- what's the most important thing? What's going to matter the most in the moment? What's going, you know, what am I going to look back at and decide was the right decision? So um, I think that's the number one thing, the unpredictability. And so when those trips, for example, are, you know, for work, um, you're constantly mm-hmm. deciding, you know, do I go do the right thing for the career? Do I do the right thing for my parent? What, how will this matter in, you know, 10 minutes, 10 years, that sort of thing. Um, and they're not simple to say, you know, it's not as simple as, oh, well, you know, my father is more important than my job because we need to eat, right? We, we need to yep. keep our jobs. And I was always um, thinking about this when I was going through my most intense caregiving moments. And I always, you know, try to give women permission and men to think about this. But we do, caregiving eventually ends, even though some of us feel like it'll never end, right? But it mm-hmm. eventually ends. And I think it's perfectly okay to be thinking about what is it I want my life to look like when this is over? Um, and therefore, how do I make choices based on that? So, you know, when my both of my parents are diagnosed at the same time, I couldn't make it to my kids' soccer games. You know, you can only be in so many places at once. And that's okay. I have plenty of opportunities to be a good mother um, that don't involve, you know, standing on the sidelines. So I made a choice in the moment to be less present, you know, on the weekends and during their activities. Um, and, And I made different decisions around work, you know, because I needed to make sure that that paycheck didn't go away. Mm hmm. Yeah. 
Well, and that's a that's a really spooky thing in in this day and age too, you know that balancing that paycheck and um, people have such great fear of losing their jobs, and um, you know being called out even when there's a work shortage. I mean, it still it, it still hangs over people. I think um, tremendously. I, I wanted to um, also make a comment about. You know, the gift of, you know, life being really unexpected and unpredictable. And um, on the flip side of that, for me, I found the gift of being spontaneous. I, I, I ended up being more flexible in all of my life and then got to experience things that maybe I wouldn't have before, that I would have poo-pooed. And, um, and so that was, you know, that was a big, um, a big gift um, in terms of the journey of that unpredictability of, you know, there's more than one way to slice a cat, you know, and, mm-hmm. and get the job done. Um, and then, oh, gosh, I can't read my writing here. Well, surprise, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, but that what do I want? Doesn't it? I know it. I know it. Yeah. Oh, what do I want my life to look like? Um, mm. Again, it's just such an interesting factor because, you know, we all do projections of of how we think things are going to pan out. And, you know, we all go through crises on, on different levels. And, you know, it's just, it's going to happen. And um, we're going to feel out of control and and that's normal, you know, to, to feel that way for a while. I mean, if you're feeling that way for too long of a time, you might want to seek some help. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, that that's just life. It's it's kind of a, a roller coaster there. Um, when you think about balancing, you know, caring and a career, do you have any any tips for for people there, you know, in addition to what we've already discussed? Yeah, I think, again, a lot of this comes down to your attitude towards the situation. And um, I don't mean to overuse the word, but, again, accepting where you are. Um, You know, at certain times in caregiving, um, it's not going to be the right time to go all in or to take a certain assignment. And that doesn't always feel fair, right? Life isn't fair. I, You know, I've done all of the work. I'm ready to take on the next challenge, assignment, responsibility at work, and now, given what's happening in my life, I can't. But to remember the long game, um, that, you know, assuming that you are operating under that mode of, okay, I know, um, I have an idea of what I, where I want to be and, and what remnants of my old life I want to maintain for when this journey is over, um, as long as you're sort of moving in that direction, then there's so much potential post caregiving as long as you realize that it's not necessarily going to look the same or it's not going to look like you wanted it to. And, and an example of that is um, how many people I meet who have become entrepreneurs post caregiving. And I mean, this Mm -hmm. is an industry that is so ripe for disruption because we know, you know, the systems aren't in place. The policies aren't in place. There's so much to improve around the caregiver experience in this country. And so Mm -hmm. you see people coming through their caregiving experience, starting businesses, starting services, starting media entities like you have. Um, There's so much potential. Again, it's not necessarily what we thought our career would look like. 
you know, when we were back mm-hmm. in college or high school. But um, the good and the bad news, right, especially is that um, we're living longer and um, that's longer retirement we need to save for. So we're working longer, uh, which means we can start careers and new endeavors and become entrepreneurial um, at any point in our life. So I think that's um, a hopeful message. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, the other thing I I found was just the people that I was lucky enough to meet through this process, too, that I wouldn't have met. Um, You know, for me, I've I've been able to connect with people all over the world. And you don't have to do what I do to do that through social media. It's mm-hmm. amazing um, the friendships that you can make, the information that you can you can gain and share um, through through something that's free, you know, to all of us. And, um, and and I think that that's a wonderful thing to be able to look at. Any anything that we haven't discussed that you'd like to share with our audience, Liz? The only other thing I would add is um, the importance, and we've touched on this theme to some degree, but the importance of um, the stories we tell ourselves to, right? Um, you know, I, back to me being the youngest daughter and why me? How come I'm caregiving? Um, when I stopped sort of singing or telling myself that, you know, victim's tune of woe mm-hmm. is me, it's all on my shoulders, and changed my story to wow, I'm lucky that I do have the organizational skills, the compassion, and believe it or not, the capacity, although, you know, in advance of caregiving, I never would have said said I had the capacity, but clearly I did because I was getting it done and I was doing a pretty good job. When I instead started to tell myself, wake up every morning and practice gratitude and write a different story about myself, which was, wow, I'm strong, I've got what Mm -hmm. it takes, not always pretty, but I, was, I, I truly could become thankful for the skills I had, the experience I had, the opportunity I had. And that, again, was, you know, was a real game changer from the mornings I woke up and went, this isn't fair, woe is me. You know, we all, words are really powerful, and we all, whether we're conscious of it or not, write a story about our lives every day. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would just encourage caregivers to, recognize what that story is, whether it's around their career, whether it's around the relationships, whether it's around that checklist, as we talked about, mm-hmm. and uh, see if there's a different version of the story that's going to be more powerful. Well, and I'll just add um, a, pers- a personal story on this one. I remember when my, my dad had died from brain cancer, and um, we got together. I have an older brother and a younger brother, and I was sharing stories about mom and dad, you know, with them. And because I said, I'm going to write a book, and I still haven't, but I was, you know, pulling these stories together. And I remember them looking at me just kind of in this really almost dismayed look like, and, and one of them actually said to me, where did you get these stories? And I remember just feeling so sad for them. And mm-hmm. I just responded, I was there. Yeah. And they they didn't have those stories. They didn't have that depth of relationship, you know, and, and like you said, the opportunity um, to reframe it in a different light. And I, I, to this day, I feel so bad for both my brothers because they didn't take the opportunity before them to truly be uh, um, a, a major part of the, the caring role 
with either of my folks. And um, I, I just think that that's so sad. And I, I know I, I know that they struggle with that, but I also know as a sister that I couldn't fix that. I couldn't change that. And that was one of the lessons too, that I learned to let go of that I couldn't yeah. control and I had to accept it, which then again gave me more time with my folks instead of trying to put my energy where it really wasn't wanted or in their eyes needed, you know, and I had to focus on really what do I want my life to look like and what do I want to remember, you know, um, what's important to me and in, you know, with my relationship with my folks. And so that was interesting too. Um, but so many life lessons um, in this if I journey. Just add to that super quickly. I think sure. the other thing, um, I, 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 I love that you just share that and I can relate. And I think the other thing to add to that is, especially as Alzheimer's caregivers, you know, the relationship changes, the person we care for changes, and we mourn and grieve throughout the whole process, right? Because mm-hmm. every time there's a shift, we're mourning the loss of who our parent was yesterday, a week ago. But if we can also recognize that there's an opportunity to build a new relationship with, you know, meet that parent where they are, then that too, for those of us who show up every day, um, that's a huge gift too. It doesn't always feel easy, but you, you look back and you reflect, and I'm so grateful for the relationship I had with my father. Even when he thought I was a sister, you know, for the last few weeks, he thought I was his favorite sister, but Hey, he picked the favorite sister, so you know. I <laughs> <laughs> yep, and that's uh, you know, there's beauty in that, you know, because it, it you might not be to them who you are, but you're still someone who they love and cherish, and mm-hmm, that's really exactly. what matters, you know, because we're all so much more than a name, but we get wrapped up sometimes in in having to be correct, and um, you know, when I when I see people struggling with that, I, I always ask them the question, would you argue with a young child if they didn't know your name? They call mm-hmm. us all kinds mm-hmm. of goofy stuff because they can't pronounce our names. And, right. and we're right. accepting of that. You know, why is it towards the end of life, you know, or if there's a change, we're, we're not gracious when someone loses the skill as mm-hmm. we are when mm-hmm. someone's in the learning stages. So, well, this has just been a really um, fun and interesting conversation, and I think our, uh, I, I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate all the tidbits that you shared with us um, through this journey. Um, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you, Liz? Um, WorkingDaughter.com is the best place to start, and from there, you know, Liz at WorkingDaughter.com is the email, or you can find Rent a Sister, which is the service I provide to caregivers in the greater Boston area. So I'd say workingdaughter.com is a great start. Okay. Well, wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much uh, for your time. And if people are interested in your book, um, Mogul Mom and Maid, The Balancing Act of the Modern Woman, um, do they get that through your website or is that on Amazon or? Amazon. Yep. Okay. Amazon. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you. And I wish you the best of luck. Um, You're doing great work. And do you want to mention, I know you uh, had talked when we were talking offline, you had mentioned you were doing a series coming up for caregivers. Do you want to give that a plug? 
Oh, sure. If you're in the um, greater Boston area, I'm starting a uh, workshop series for caregivers in November, uh, which is National Family Caregiver Month at the Dedham Public Library. And um, we'll look at a lot of the themes that we talked about today, right? How to accept, how to prepare at work. Um, So love to see people there. Okay. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Liz. And again, I just want to remind people, if you are interested in going on our dementia-friendly cruise in Symposium, um, you need to get a hold of Kathy Schof uh, quickly to get your uh, cabin booked. We leave November 11th, and we'll be coming back on the 18th. It's just going to be a lot of fun. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com, and you'll find information uh, right on the homepage for that. I also want to just remind people, too, uh, here at Alzheimer Speaks, we've been doing this show for over six years years. You can go back and listen to them all um, anytime that you would like. So please feel free to do that. Uh, I also do um, some interviews called Dementia Chat, uh, which is a video interview. And um, our last one we did was a really interesting conversation. uh, And it was all about do dementia experts and care partners really know what the person with dementia wants? And our experts on dementia chats are all diagnosed and living with the disease. So it's really, it's a very insightful um, uh, video uh, and it's free and there's many others out there too that you can, you can go ahead and download or watch or share. Uh, so please feel free to do that. I too will be traveling. I'm going to be um, in Connecticut and Massachusetts next, next week with Atria. And so if you are in the, let's see, I'll be out in Falmouth, and I will be in Andover and Stratford, and where else am I going to be? Uh, Waterford. Uh, please let me know. I'd love to be able to meet you. Um, some of these uh, are open to the public. Some are just for professionals that we are doing. Um, but I will be out there the 23rd through, or actually I'll be um, speaking the 24th through the 26th. So feel free to uh, check that out through Atria. Uh, Again, thank you all so much for your time. Have a blessed week, and we'll talk with you soon. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.